Now, where did I put them? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox, where we discuss the tools we utilize every day. Yours to use or toss, it's up to you. But I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tools for the Toolbox. Uh, I am Chance Burles, as you know, and I have a fantastic guest for you today. And we're going to kick this off as I always do. So, who are you? And what is your military background? Thank you, Chance. Uh, my name is Ashley. My military background, uh, I joined the Canadian Naval Reserves in year 2000 and stayed in for about five years. Um, I, my trade was a bosun, which was a lot of fun. Um, boats, ropes, and guns. Um, so there's a, a lot of a lot of high points uh, during my career. There's Those ones are the easy ones to remember. So what, was um, your favorite, I, what was your favorite gun, though? Oh, MP5. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> why, yeah. Why was, the, why was the MP5 your favorite? Oh, well, I got to do uh, boarding party training. I never actually was assigned to a team, but the, the training okay. was just amazing. So, like, one of the highlights for me is doing uh, on the tactical, uh, like, on the range. Too. And so the people who were you know, the top shots just got to blow through the rest of the ammunition one day. So I was strapped down. I had, um, oh, I had a 180 shotgun, 870, 870 Remington on my back, um, six hour on my hip and like, I don't know, hundreds of bullets, like the double barrel uh, or the double magazines. And it was just like, Kate, go to town <laughs> end of the day. So that was, uh, that was definitely a highlight for me. That was a really uh, great day. We did a gun camp in Shiloh at one point in time. And, um, it was just like a famil on everything. We had to go over all the stuff, but at the end of the, the whole gun camp they had, I think it was like three or 4,000 rounds of C9 ammo that they just didn't want to hand in, so they took the C9 gunners out, and they're like, yeah. okay, boys, you're each going to get, like, I don't know, 1,200 rounds. The range is yours. Mm -hmm. And we, like, we went to town. I was doing, doing like, standing, shooting, uh, uh, kneeling, go down to the prone. Yeah. I was doing the, uh, uh, the whatchamacallit, the, the Rambo with the belt over my hand. Oh, like, yeah. On the hip. Uh, yeah. We were getting target uh, fixed uh, target coordinates from our number two, and they were like, "Come left two degrees." Well, and you're, so you're like shifting fire. Like it was. Oh yeah. yeah. Those days where you just get to like experiment. Oh yeah. Try stuff, yeah. see how it feels. Those are good training days. I mm -hmm. love those. <laughs> so that's like all the all the weapons I got to use were awesome in different ways. So, but okay. that was that was a highlight. But so I also are, really like the nine mil just because it's easy. What's the biggest gun that you've got to play with? The biggest one that I was qualified on was the 50 cal. Um, so those are uh, machine guns, massive, um, like where you have, you know, barrel gets hot and you have to switch them over and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we had, um, oh my God, 50 mil bofers on our ship, but uh, I never qualified on them. So I just was a grease monkey for them and just like literally just greased <laughs> the equipment. Um, I don't remember why I never qualified, but uh, it looked like a pain in the ass more than anything. And they rarely got used even in training. So even the 50 cal was just like, there was a lot of setup and a lot of failures because yeah. those guns uh, are World War II um, era. So Earlier. 
Oh, great. Yeah. 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 Yes. Really old. So like if they failed, you're just like, obviously it was when they worked that you got excited. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Did you ever get to use like, you always see it and I've always wanted to try these, the, the big quad barrel ones from the American Navy with that are the fifties for their like anti-aircraft. No. Yeah, those, would be, those would be amazing, no. but yeah. What can you do? Yeah. So now no, I just definitely. question though, the Bofors, yeah. the 20 mil, are you shooting just uh, like tungsten projectiles or are you shooting like flak out of them or is there like, what's the different ordinance that you can play with there? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't even think I was, I, I don't remember even if I was on a ship that successfully fired one. Like there's a lot of, like, honestly, <laughs> were, like, I think there's a lot of, Navy. yeah, there's a lot of setup and there's a lot of exercise and the ship was going to do it. And it was going to happen. And then everybody's all set. And it's like, Kate, back we go. And you're like, yeah just happened yeah so i don't i honestly don't even remember i remember having to like ammo the ship what feels like hundreds of times so carrying the ammo around a lot and i just remember it was heavy as fuck but um yeah. sorry um yeah give her yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, okay uh, good yeah, the, i was just gonna say as, as any machine gunner knows is that your best days are when you get to get rid of the ammo that you've been carrying yeah. all day right so yeah. Anytime that you get a chance to just dump ammo, mm -hmm. we'll take it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. lots of times where you just, cool. where you just carry it around all day for fun. And then you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. You take your shit off. The full day. The full yeah. day. So let's get back to uh, the history. So you were in for five, five years. Six, five years. Okay. Five or four years. Yeah. Gets blurry. So what happened then? Um, I took a, I was, so I was, mostly class B and C the entire time. So, you know, building a, a reg force billet. Um, but then like, you know, a bunch of shit happened and I just decided I needed a break. So I took a year uh, leave of absence. Um, so yeah, I should say I was only on the, ever on the uh, in Canadian, I was in Canada. Like I never deployed past uh, Alaska or Bellingham, Washington. I never got to go to the fun places. They, they started to go the year I left, which was felt really good. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, so anyways, no bitterness there. Um, so I took, um, I did a lot of training out East, but I was mostly on the West coast. Um, so I took a year off because I needed to, you know, rethink my life decisions. And I went to college, um, in the interior of BC. So for me, it was a really abrupt shift from full-time, um, you know, deployed uniform, you know, for years to living with hippies in the mountain. Uh, who didn't understand how to tell time, apparently, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was a major frustration for me. So, you know, if you're not 10 minutes early or 10 minutes late, and people used to just drive me absolutely insane. Um, but, you know, like, as uh, as it goes, there were days that I just, just wouldn't go to class. I just, yeah. uh, I absolutely refused to, because as I know now, and as we understand now, as I was having a really hard uh, transition, really hard time connecting with people and uh living where i was where there wasn't a lot of a great deal of knowledge or respect for the military um you know we, there was you know butting of heads and different ideas and that kind of thing so i had no supports shock right shock of shockers <laughs> so it was uh yeah it was a real shock to my system uh, I spent a year doing adventure training, which I absolutely loved. Um, but by the time it came for my my one year up, I put on my uniform for the last time, went in, handed in my paperwork, signed on the line, 
would even consider doing suppress or anything. Yep. I was so angry. Um, I'd spend a year without supports, just kind of like overloading the anger without actually directing it anywhere. And so I just left. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Not on great terms. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, there's a reason that there's the, uh, uh, the, the old stereotype of the, the bitter corporal, the salty corporal, right? You're in for three, four years, you start realizing that all of the, the regimental bull, all the politics and all the games that you mm -hmm. have to play and the hoops that you have to jump through in order to get really anywhere, uh, it just tires people out. And yeah. I think, I think you and I were talking about it on the canoe trip was like the, the, the military now is in this huge leadership vacuum because after Afghanistan, we were all just like, nope, <laughs> not doing this anymore. <laughs> Peace. Yeah. 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 So, it yeah. uh, it makes a lot of sense and man i can't even imagine school entrance into school directly after the military is uh that's a whole new <laughs> ball of wax right <laughs> no i would i would call my entrance into school kind of like a soft entrance because i went from you know like i say the full-time military thing and as a lot of us know in the military there's a certain rush that comes with a lot of um with a lot of our work so i had replaced that rush by doing an education where i learned uh you know uh, backcountry skiing and ice climbing and you know whitewater kayaking so i was getting that getting that adrenaline rush it was a really soft shift i mean my school was pretty relaxed um we had the 30 centimeter rule so if you, if it snowed 30 centimeters, don't you're expected at the ski hill, not in the classroom. So, you know, it was a really, <laughs> it was a little bit, um, it was easy, you know, like it wasn't, um, uh, that part of it wasn't a big, big challenge, but any, like I did decide to kind of commit to school on a part-time level after that. So I picked okay. away um, at an undergraduate degree for a, almost 10 years. Um, which I did um, like 70% of it online, which gave me lots of freedom to travel, which involved just being a ski bum uh, in the mountains in BC, up in the Yukon, uh, kind of bounced back and forth. And it sounds like fun. And in hindsight, you know, there was definitely fun aspects of it. But what was really happening was I had no sense of direction. I had no sense of purpose. I had no drive. I was just absolutely lost for years. Um, the only thing that kept me grounded was school. Yep. So, and I would just, I would ski all winter and then I would go to school full time so that I didn't have to get more than a part-time job and in the summer. So worked, uh, you know, bartending or that kind of thing. And then head back to the mountains for the winter. So it was a soft, <laughs> a soft turn into school, but eventually I finished my undergrad. Um, and then I found myself again, totally just lost. Um, I didn't really, I didn't have a specific job that I was going for. I didn't have any purpose again. So then I decided to do um, a master's degree. Uh, and I focused on my undergrad, I focused on uh, military and mental health. And I focused on that again for my uh, master's degree. And then I, and after that, I ended up getting a job um, in a hospital in uh, psychiatric care, which honestly just wasn't for me in that setting. Um, so I started thinking about doing uh, more education. But what 
the turning point I think for me was how can I best serve my community? And I knew at that point um, that I needed to do something with the military again. It had kind of hit me throughout my master's degree, I, you know, uh, how can I best serve? How can I help um, uh, my friends that are still there? So I went on and now I'm uh, doing a PhD and I'm in my third year of a neuroscience degree focusing on uh, PTSD for military and first responders. Damn, that's... Uh... <laughs> That is way more school than I am willing to put up with personally. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I got to be clear. I was kicked out of high school many times. I dropped out of high school many times. I school and that kind of structure was never for me. Yeah. So, well, yeah. good on you, man. Like that, that is the, the fact I, I know a lot of people that will either, you know, they get out of the military and they're so used to the work, the constant work right and there mm -hmm. even if you're not doing anything you can find something to do right like I, at one point i got really bored because my warrant officer took uh took all of our chairs and desks out of the troop bay so we, we had no place to sit down and i was like well i guess well i guess i'll just go do something so i went to the scrap wood bin and i pulled a bunch of wood out and i built benches that we nice. then put in the thing yeah. I didn't tell the warrant what I was building until after we had built it and painted it with all our logos and stuff and then threw it in the bay and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I know guys that got out and immediately went to work. They were like, no yeah. transition whatsoever. And they just buried themselves in work. And then five, six, ten years later, they're now going like it just the weight of it is all crushing them down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But taking the time to really figure out like, you know, what do I, what do I actually want to do? Yeah. Where, where is my skills going to be useful? Where is this going to be? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, that's, that's a, that's a hard choice because the other part of it is everything's trial and error. And we're oh, yeah. so used to the military of just like, this is what you're supposed to do. So you go do it and then you finish mm -hmm. the job and then they mm -hmm. tell you what to do next. And then, but when you're outside of that and you're like, well, I mean, I could, I'm going to try school and school might not work right? You might not yeah. get what you want out of that. You might go to work and you might not get what you want out of that either. <laughs> so, Oh, exactly. You know, I think I've spent to... years doing that, you know, yeah. like I finish off uh, one degree and get a job and realize, well, this isn't the field for me, or um, I really just don't like nine to five. Um, maybe that's why I'm still in school. It's because I don't really want to get a real job. <laughs> gonna be pretty screwed in a couple of years um yeah. but uh yeah like i've just i've definitely spent many many years just wandering around and trying out different things and this avenue didn't work and this avenue didn't work and this avenue didn't work um and i'm lucky in the sense that i've i've had uh you know family support and um you know i could come home for christmas and just kind of like you know recenter and and figure out and you know always having parents saying well that's fine just as long as you get in a paycheck, you know, uh, that kind of support. So, you know, I've, I've had, like I say, a variety of, a variety of jobs, a variety of, um, attempts at a career. The thing though, is like, that's not a bad thing, right? Like if you have the support and you have the ability to just mm -hmm. try, take it. Right. And yeah. I mean, I talked to Whitney about this in the last podcast. It was like, there are thousands of different opportunities for people to either get better, go to school, find work, like whatever that are available. Mm -hmm. And most don't want to try for it. They don't want to like go mm -hmm. for it. And actually, 
because we look at not wanting to do something as a failure and it, it's a whole nother ball of wax on that right. one but so yeah. we've we've talked about uh um you said your transition jumping into a place of zero support being a bad mm -hmm. thing for, to transition yeah. out of the military yeah <laughs> what yeah. do you think you would tell yourself back then how would you uh what little tidbit of information would you give yourself to make your transition just like a little bit easier <laughs> Uh, I would I would say set up supports before you leave, um, even if you don't think that you're going to need them. Um, just even investigate into what's available, even if you don't make that phone call or send that email, whatever it is, just know what's there should you need it. Because you might not need it in the first six days, six weeks or six months, but it could be six years or in my case, you know, 16 or more years, 20 years um, after joining, that you're like, oh, shit, this would have been good to know. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, like, there's so much available. It's not even necessarily one contact. And if you don't like the answer that you get the first time, ask again. <laughs> Try a different avenue. And it can be exhausting, but um, hopefully it'll pay off in the end. Well, I mean, it'll be worth it, right? Like, if you find yeah. the right the right doctor or the right program or the right school or the right job, mm -hmm. it'll be worth all of the previous attempts. Because I mean, like I went to, my first therapist I went to see was at the uh, the OSI clinic here in Edmonton. And I said it many times, it was not good for me. Like we did exposure therapy, or like direct exposure therapy and uh, after about six months, I realized that my doctor didn't remember my son's name, and I talked about him every week. Right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized that I, well, at least I think that he was more concerned about his next book or paper than he was actually yeah. working with me, and uh, I didn't know that I could go anywhere else. The, the army had mm -hmm. sent me here, so I just was like, "Sure, okay, that's yeah. where I go, I guess." And yeah, uh, yeah until I found. A buddy of mine actually told me, he's like, you know, you can just not go there. <laughs> but I, the, the, I, there was told to go see this doctor and he's like, no, 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 you can just pick whatever doctor you want. Like as soon as, as long as they're covered with blue cross, you're, you're good to go. And yeah. so immediately I was like, oh, I started looking up trauma doctors or trauma specialists. And then, uh, I saw one that had did equine therapy and I was like, yes. And I made huge strides, like huge oh, strides just yeah. working with horses so moving yourself into it like the proper um the one that's going to work for you mm -hmm. if it takes 10 tries like definitely yeah cool. take i had the similar experience the one that i ended up with um from veterans affairs the first time i thought is this is this what it is is this it i'm like well this is not helpful i think i went in like three times and i was like i don't know what I'm guess supposed to be getting out of this. I'm like, yeah. the message that I'm getting is everything is fine and my life is neat. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess see you later then. <laughs> like, I didn't know what I was like, this, there was just no, there's no connection for me. Um, so then just, you know, various other things happened in my life for a few years. It's like, okay, maybe we try this again. Um, you know, and I actually didn't even go the military route. I went a civilian route and that ended up, I, well, I did some military stuff. Um, but then ended up with a civilian, um, uh, therapist who's been fantastic. So, yeah. and that's supported, which is awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, 
the thing we struggle with a lot of the times is that we're so used to being told where to go, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, even with school, I had absolutely no problem when I was told show up at this point in time, or like show up at six fifty at the barn. We're going to work the horses. We're going to do this. Blah 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 blah. I would show up at six forty-five, or I'd show up at six forty, and mm-hmm. I would sit there and I'd watch the other students wander in at like seven or like seven fifteen wander in the middle of a lecture for some reason and just be like on the phone not even wrecking this and i would want to tear my eyeballs out (laughs) and like at this point too i was also master i was still master corporal referrals like i had just come from uh meford as an instructor i was like the knife hand was sharp it was ready there were lots of things that i wanted to snap at and i was surrounded by 19 year old girls so it was uh although the funny thing was i said at the time was like my 18 year old self thinking about when I'm 30 is very disappointed in myself that I am upset as a 30 year old being surrounded by 19 year old girls. <laughs> you just never know where you're going to end up, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it, it, what it, I think what it comes down to is that we're so used to putting ourselves last, right? Like it, it every time throughout every orders I've ever been given is mission men self right it's so you are the last thing to worry about so mm-hmm. what do what you're told get the job done check on your troops then work on yourself right yeah and uh, and i think you know we had said this uh in the last attempt uh that you know stigma which is what we want to talk about today i i personally really think that that's where that starts because mm-hmm. you are you're constantly told when you first show up to a unit that it's all about the mission. And then when I got to the unit, I was watching guys come back from tour and they were, they're not doing well or they wanted to release or whatever. And the thing that I would get told is they're weak, they're leaving, they're quitting on us. They're taking out, like it was always, mm-hmm. uh, it was like a personal affront, right? How yeah. dare that person yeah. leave? Um, yeah because they were putting themselves ahead of the mission. And I mean, what are your thoughts on where that comes from? Where do you think that stigma starts? Well, I think it has to do with uh, fear for one, um, because if it can happen to that person and it can happen to you. And so if you make that person other, if you identify whatever's going on with them as a weakness, and that's a characteristic that you don't, the grand you don't possess, um, then you can distance yourself. And it's it's a way, it's a default mode um, of protection, of self-protection to have that um, kind of stigma. But I think that like what we were talking about before was that it's kind of, it's like an acquired uh, perspective as well. Um, you don't go into the military having these prejudgments generally. It comes from, and I was thinking about it today, it comes from, it's top down. This is a leadership thing. This is this is behavior that is modeled towards us. And I mean, you and I were both also leaders in, our, in the military, you know, like we also had uh, whatever rank. Um, so it's from at w- like every single rank is responsible for that. So I think that we're starting, we're, we're learning about it now, we're, um, but it's still the actual shift of change is still coming like the actual change no we're still all talking and talking is great but we've been talking for a really really long time uh (laughs) you know and but the actual change we're paying a lot of lip service to stigma without actually um living it um and promoting it i think 
Yeah, no, I think you're you're right in that regards. The the challenge that I see is that the military being such a stringent uh, organization, any change within the military is going to take decades, right? I mean, you think about, uh, I had this discussion with a few few guys, was that the war in Afghanistan for Canada wasn't long enough because it didn't enable the the combat experienced troops that know what leadership, like true leadership is. It didn't allow for those guys to push high enough into the ranks to make change. They got high enough into the ranks and then had to, and then they got home and then, you know, the war's over and they're like, well, I'm not right. going to deal with this BS. This is not happening. And then we leave. Right. And so you, there, like I said earlier, there's this leadership vacuum that just uh, all the, the, the people that <laughs> there are still some, I can't say all, because there are some that stayed in and there are still some really great leaders out there. But mm-hmm. by and large, this is why we're having such a leadership issue within the CF at that higher echelon. Yeah. is that the change wasn't uh the cultural shift wasn't long enough to do anything so like when we were in afghanistan if i needed something i got it right i need a soft bag for my c9 no problem here you go i need new pants because these ones are faded no problem i need whatever it was right i got it and i get back home and i'm like hey i have these pants and they're see-through and i have giant holes in all the pockets can i get a new pair of pants and they're like no <laughs> <laughs> uh, why not well you're not entitled to them and we're like i'm trying to exchange them no no no, that's not how this works and you're like like it, it oh my God. The, the cultural shift wasn't there long enough to actually get rid of those people <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And and the good ones, like the ones that in, in my experience, and it it's been many, many years, but the good ones that were trying to affect change um, and were trying to make a difference and were trying to make these types of shifts, they're gone mostly um, because they've burned out. They've been, um, you know, they've gone to find civilian jobs. They've they've remustered. They've gone somewhere else because they're they're just being met with such resistance um, that you know after a while you just have to give up. And I've got a couple of friends that are still pushing really really hard and uh, and doing well, but it's a huge challenge. Sorry, just gonna delete. No worries. Phone call. Okay. Um, yeah. What anyway. I was gonna say it was like the. Um... It, it this I think it really starts. We were talking about this last time. I can't remember the name that you guys got called. The the reserve got shad. What was shad? There shad. we go. Yeah. Yeah. And so like yeah, it's a derogatory term. Right. It just yeah. and it's an immediate distinctiveness distinction. Right. You yeah. are either oh, right yeah. force and you're hardcore, or you're for us you're part of the mo. Yeah, the oh. mo. And yeah. it's yeah. uh. But I know some really great, uh, great troops that are reserve. I know some mm-hmm. really horrible dudes that are reg force, and like, I, one yeah. of the things uh, we were we were getting getting into it last time was like, uh, on my training when we were doing survivability, I'd be you have to do push-ups in order to leave. So we were all out front in the push-up position with a rucks on, and I had a flag and a C9 and everything like it was just crazy. And I'm sitting in the push-up position, and I watched the reserve troop come out and then start doing their push-ups and the corporal in charge of them i think mm-hmm. i don't know they got down and they were doing they did like 20 i could hear the strain in his voice as he was calling out like 22 
23 right. and we're still waiting right in the push-up position just yeah, watching this happen yeah, yeah and our instructor is doing the exact same thing they just stand in there like this waiting for them to finish they get through their 25 mm -hmm. they get up then they put their rucks on and then they try to march in front of us and my instructor was like no you can fucking wait yeah. and then made us do push-ups and then we did an extra five or six like it was just as like a fuck you to the other yeah. instructor and the other team saying that we're better than you yeah and it's it's like in, <laughs> well that's in that. kind of, the message the message gets um gets hammered home right away like i went i did basic and board in and it was the exact same thing we were treated differently um and then the group that i was in we, we were all like kids like 17 and 18 uh years old so we were really getting shit on by uh the rest of whoever was training there and we were navy so like <laughs> you know we really on an early got oh, on an early base yeah. yeah so you know people didn't treat us with a lot of kindness um our our range instructors were ppcli so i mean they they like to they're they're pretty rough on them i like them but they, they could be a little bit rough um but you got it hammered home from the day that you joined like you know i'm in a reserve unit i spend six months doing or four months whatever it was training once a week and being told to do my pt on my own here's the requirements just make sure that you hit those yeah. i couldn't do a pull up are you kidding me um <laughs> still working on it um but like there was no there was no real nobody tested me before i went um nobody told me what i was getting into i didn't understand the difference between reg force and reserve i didn't know that there was a different mentality i didn't know what it meant at the end of the day i mean for me when i joined it was kind of like it was literally somebody telling me that i would never even last basic and i was like screw you yeah i'm gonna try so i joined the military um <laughs> and but like this is the message that 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 never went away that never went like i i learned it the first time i was there and it has stuck with me to this day that i am i will remain a shad i will re remain um less committed to uh my service than it, than the reg force um it is there is a hierarchy um that i have of respect that i have to um adhere to Oh yeah. I mean, this is just stuff that's absolutely ingrained. I've spent eight years studying stigma. That is yeah. what I do. I have published a paper about stigma and yet it's still this lesson that's ingrained in me. There was a guy, um, oh, I went, uh, <laughs> I hope he never sees this. I went to, um, I joined ski patrol a couple of years ago and I was doing um, some first aid training and, uh, and one of the guys that joined nice guy, um, had just left the military. And he was, you know, just finding something else to do with his life. And uh, we were kind of going around and introducing ourselves and our background and stuff because there was a lot of military there. And I, you know, said what I said. He goes, oh, so you're a shad. And I just like my neck just I just about like gave myself whiplash. <laughs> like this is I've just started my PhD. I'm like, excuse me. So I just, and he just kind of like I was like, that is a four letter word, man. And I'm like, you cannot say that. And I just I'm like, we get to say like it was just like no and he's like I, I didn't know i'm like I, I so i just had to kind of explain very briefly like that's 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 not something that a reg force dude should be saying to a reservist it's just not again this is my perspective this is stuff that i learned 21 years ago maybe things have shifted but uh not really the, yeah <laughs> what i mean i got out in 13 right so like there was still at that point like you would look down your nose at the reservists, right? For sure. Now, I was 
as an instructor, like I, I was teaching reserve courses as well. And I didn't care that you were reserved. If you were in my training cell, guess what? You're like, no, I, I'm not being nice to people. I'm not taking it easy on people. And in fact, just because you're reserved, I'm going to go harder on you. Oh, and I'm familiar I with that one too. <laughs> well, I did it on purpose. And the, the reason is, is because I know that, that the next mentality on that next training phase, when they go to their phase three, or if they go to uh, their, uh, their trades course or whatever, I want them to look back at my training and go, man, like <laughs> that set me up yeah. for this course because yeah, this is nothing compared to what I went through here. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want them to have this mentality of, oh, I'm reserved. I, you know, okay, these training courses are going to be light or easy yeah. or a bit of a cakewalk. And I kept thinking back to those instructors that allowed the slackness to mm -hmm. make that distinction when I was training because I immediately looked down on people just for the fact that they were reserved because that one instructor didn't want to put the effort into put us yeah. at the same level right yeah. and i've been a proponent of this for years is that you know uh, you have one one training uh standard yeah period. reserve or break force man or woman doesn't matter this is the, the level if you can meet it cool if not get the fuck out it's that yeah. easy and i know yeah. lots of break force guys that were super tough dudes they shouldn't have been there because they couldn't maintain a certain standard in a certain area. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're a PT God, but you don't know how to study or remember things yeah. or polish your boots properly or whatever, right? Yeah. There's a standard and there's a standard for a reason. And the trick is, at least uh, the challenge that I, that I had as an instructor was understanding when to pull back from that, that line, right? There's a hard line. Here's the standard you will either achieve or you won't. Mm -hmm. But if you maintain that line, yeah. uh, then you're going to, you're going to be getting rid of some people that could be trained up that could be, right. you know, mentored forward a little bit and gotten there. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a very hard, there's a gray, <laughs> there's yeah. a gray patch there as much as I want to yeah. say, you know, maintain the standard, uh, there is a great, but there is a, uh, a gray area. And, yeah. you know, I find that th there's so many things within the military that is so binary, right? You either, you're good to go or you're not, mm -hmm. period. Oh, you're yeah. Course or you're reserved. Like, yeah. there's no, there's no distinction. Yeah. You're either hurt or you're injured, right? Like, you, you either are fucked up and can't do the job or you're a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that really plays into the stigma portion of it too because how are you supposed to like how do you juggle mm -hmm. that line yeah well for me even using the term veteran didn't become part of my vocabulary until well i want to say 2016 2017 so this is 12 years after i've left the military and it was because that term veteran to me now again i wasn't engaged in the military community other than studying it at arm's length because i was outside the military i had no business addressing saying we saying us i was gone i had no contact with the military for years 
Um, so I never used the term veteran because it wasn't for me. It was for my grandfather and for um, combat uh, soldiers. That was it. Um, you know, like my whole time in the military, like in the military, the Navy wasn't really engaged in war in the same way. So still, yeah. it just didn't apply to me. And it wasn't until I was on, um, I went on an outward bound trip. And one of the guys, it was our, our very first day, we're all strangers to each other. And one of the guys sitting behind me in the van, we were talking just about like, who are we, where we're from and that kind of thing. And I, and he kind of, he stopped me. He's like, I need to, I just need to interrupt you. Why are you saying that you were in the military? I was like, yeah, I was like, well, then you're a veteran. Like, stop saying used to be it's like you're a veteran i'm like well and he's like and, he, <laughs> and it was you know it was awesome i really greatly appreciated he gave me a hard time he's like no did you know that you can apply for this service and this service and you can get this deal and you can go do this right down get a pen and paper out right and i'm just i was like kind of going okay i got all right that's so it was like for i i had to take that with me for the next seven days to be and i was there with all um retired full-time uh military that had been in there for five to 25 years. Uh, it was all men. I was the only woman there. It was a really hard adjustment for me. And that's, I think, where my own insight into my personal stigma um, had begun. And realizing that, A, I had it, <laughs> and I was using it against myself. And it's like, okay, I need to start to explore this and acknowledge what the difference is. And at the end of, uh, end of that trip, one of the guys said to me, my hope for you and your future is that you can find a way to honor your military experience and that to me was just like a punch to the chest in the best possible way but i was like wow wow i could honor my service what does that mean and it was just such a, a thought-provoking and uh an insightful piece of information that i've kept with me and you know for the last five or six years and it's been a driving force to me uh how can i honor my service how can i honor the experience that i have and be true to myself and part of that is addressing stigma and trying to figure out how can i help other people understand stigma if i haven't figured it out yet myself so i'm working on it <laughs> i have no other than i'm working on it that's, that's the whole point of this podcast anyway is like every one of us is going to address it in a different manner right i i say the best tool anyone can have is insight if you can actually just stop and look at how you're making your own decisions and what the the driving factor are behind those decisions you will make huge leaps in whatever it is if it's health if it's fitness if it's uh, uh psychological issues if it's eating if it doesn't matter what it is right if you can actually figure out why you're making the decisions you're making yeah then just yeah. you can fly right all of a sudden then you can start pinpointing it and say oh okay i'm feeling shitty right now so i want a chocolate bar okay well how yeah. do i mitigate that and then go from there right yeah. and one of the one of the things that i i always got told was so we did a lot of flutter kicks <laughs> in trading for i don't know if you ever did flutter kicks at the why i don't know so or the fifth point of flight procedure just as like when we were you know you fuck up on drill or you you're get a you know your failure inspection or whatever you need some remedial pt for you know how oh, training, okay you know instructors do that so one of the ones we always used to do was flutter kicks or fifth point of flight procedure which is basically put your hands under your butt you put your legs six inches off the ground and you start doing this right yeah and then it'd make you so hold it six inches off the ground and then you do this yeah. and then you do that like and 
it is such a core workout. Everyone starts to groan and like, Ugh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And every time I would hear from the instructors is fucking suffer in silence, fight through the pain. You can do it. Like, and there was never, it was just shut up. <laughs> it was never yeah. uh, manage it. It was never, what is it that hurts? What, like, it was never taught to us to think about it. It was just repress it, shut it down. Don't talk yeah. about it. Don't think about it. And so when you're yeah. thinking about physical pain and you're like, oh, I can just shut this, like push it down and I can keep working. That is a useful technique because when you have work to do and like my shoulder hurts, but I still have to lift bridge panels. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Lift bridge panels, yeah. right? <laughs> the, the work still needs to get done. Um, but I think it bleeds into their mental health. It bleeds into maintain, as you said, like the stigma that was applied was then taught to you and then you do it to yourself. And I do the oh, same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, if I'm having a bad day, my back hurts and I'm like, ah, you know, I probably should just sit on the couch and ice it or just like relax for the day. I'm my, the whole time, the whole day, my head is going, oh, you lazy motherfucker. Like get off the oh. fucking couch, right? I hear you. The from basic training because we had like we like I say we had the PPCLI guys with us and like we were we had to we had we felt as a unit I maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody that we had to work harder. I wasn't that hard of a worker, but we had to sh prove our um, merit while we were yeah. there. Like we really we had to push. Um, so with a motto that we had that we actually got printed on our shirts at the end of it was pain is your body's way of saying you're not dead yet and i you know i wasn't in the best shape back then um but it's something that stuck with me and now it's even to my own detriment like when i'm at the gym or going for a run or something and something will start to hurt I'm like not dead <laughs> you know and i keep going in and i have to kind of start to adjust that it's like wait a second your body might actually not be able to bounce down back from that you might need to take it down a notch um but it's still there and i find it sometimes it's an effective thing to remind me of that mm -hmm. I find it a better psychological tool actually than I do a physical tool. Yeah. Um, Cause psychologically, you know, whatever issue that I'm dealing with, whatever angst I'm dealing with, whatever the problem of the day is saying, it hasn't killed you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you're still here. You're still, it's, you know, but maybe taking it away from the physical side and applying it more to the mental side is the right thing to do for me. Yeah. You know, it, it it's a really tricky thing too, because like, like, we're both saying is that it's, it's a useful tool, right? To, to be able to tell yourself and your body, not right now, we got shit to do, right? Or, you know, the, the pain is just a reminder that you can make it through and that you're like, you're still okay. Um, mm -hmm. And in, like, usually in first aid, if you all of a sudden can't feel pain, that's a bad thing. So yeah. <laughs> pain is a good reminder, right? Yeah. Pain is information at the end of the day, whether it's physical or psychological or emotional pain, pain is information. It goes back exactly. to what you're saying about insight. So if you have the insight and the curiosity to wonder about what that pain is or wonder what that situation is, then you can start to grow from it. Like if you're at the gym and you're starting to get a hip problem, you know, or whatever, or foot problem, whatever, it's like, maybe you should just ask where that is coming from. Because if you don't and it goes away the next day and you're like, fuck it, I'll just throw on more weights this time you're screwed you're, you're you're not learning what the problem was and you can go back and you can fix it and and then do a little bit better next time mm -hmm. without injuring yourself but it's information well, I, you're absolutely right and i mean it, it it applies to what we were saying earlier about the military not learning not advanced like they're 
we're paying lip service to it, but we're not actually doing anything, right? So, you know, if the army is some dude trying to do a deadlift and he does a deadlift and his back hurts, but hey, the deadlift went up, you know, right? Then the, yeah. that's technically a win, but like, is it? What? Because yeah. <laughs> you're doing damage yeah. every time, right? And yeah. you know, I laughed when um, when Op Honor started to catch all the higher ups all the generals and stuff for all of the issues that's going on there yeah. and I, w I was like that's 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 exactly it right there you're paying lip service thinking that it's just going to be like yes i have this whole program that's supposed to you know weed out sexual assault and then all of a sudden people start getting pinged for sexual assault and they're like <gasps> how did that happen like <laughs> yeah wait what <laughs> you know, like, yeah there's no insight there they're not actually looking at the problem they're just trying to get people to shut up because they're they're look at me i'm doing something i'm doing something just shut up about it don't talk about it anymore right yeah and one of the things that i deal with when i you know help other vets and i i talk to other vets about it is there's this concept that we owe the military something right and it's it's drilled into us constantly right as you go through your training as you go through all your stuff is that like the military is giving you all of these tools and they're giving you all of these things and that it is up to you to then give back to the unit or give back to the, the military or whatever. And I mean, when I, like I said, when I, when I first got to my regiment and people were leaving, they were thought of as lesser or weak or mm -hmm. whatever, because they were giving up on the regiment. They were giving up mm -hmm. on the rest of us there. And this debt, that we think we owe to this organization, it negatively affects us when we leave because the organization still moves, right? The, the army is, a, or the military is a machine and it just, it will continue to move forward. And as soon as you step off the, off the train, the army, the military train, it's gone. Yeah. And you, you're not getting back on that. <laughs> and even if you get back in, you're, you're still gonna be behind the curve. And, uh, I mean, I've talked to guys over the years so many times about this is that you don't actually owe the arm, the military anything, mm -hmm. right? Like you, you did the job, they trained you right. to do the job. You then did it for X amount of time, whether you did it for six months, eight years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. Yeah. Once your, your service date is over, you don't owe the military anything. And in fact, mm -hmm. they still owe you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. which is why we have all these programs and why we have all these things. But I think it really plays into the, the self stigmatization as well, because we feel this like debt, it goes back to the whole mission man self thing, right? Like Absolutely. how do we get people to see that once you yeah. leave the military, the mission is now self. Yeah. Like not, you're not last, you're first. That's a good way. That's a good way to say things. And I remember like when you're talking earlier, um, you know, about going to when I was going to college and stuff, I realized, you know, the military never really taught me, you know, there's no transition opportunity for me. There was no there's no programming. At the end of the day, when I left the military, I didn't know how to look after self. I didn't know how to do for myself. I mean, I could pay my bills and do my laundry and I could do those kind of things, but I really didn't know what myself was. My identity wasn't me. It was, you know, it had belonged to a unit, to a ship. I mean, the first thing 
that in the military, someone asks you, where are you from? What unit do you belong to? Where have you been? What have you done? And it's all based on military. So my identity was gone from that. I mean, it was only five years of my life, but though it was clearly an impactful five years, but I didn't know how to shift that identity into figuring out who I was or what my purpose was or that, or that I could come first uh, or that I needed to take care of things like my own um, mental and spiritual health and that kind of stuff. It just, it simply didn't exist. And I'm so glad to see all of these programs um, that have, that have come up over the last few years. I finally shifted from being glad to being angry up. Um, uh, I didn't know that they would apply to me or could apply to me. So I was simply angry and jealous that other people were getting something out of it and they were doing well and I couldn't reconcile my own um, experience with it. So now that I see these programs are coming up, they're actually doing a lot of good in most cases, in many cases. Um, so to go back to like advice that I would give myself, finding those supports, even if it's not a therapist, even if it's not, you don't need counseling, but finding some kind of group or activity or network that you can create um, that's going to act as a safety net or just a connection to that old life, um, if you if that's what you want, uh, can be really, really important. Yeah, I, the biggest piece of advice I give people when they first get out is, uh, <clears throat> is get involved in something just mm -hmm. whatever it is like and I think that's helped a lot in the um, this I call it the, the veteran renaissance that's been happening over this last 10-15 years now where you know you have veteran businesses opening up you have veteran organizations opening up you have people mm -hmm. working still working to help each other um, through different avenues right with the different programs and the different uh, all the all the stuff that's happening and it's fantastic to see yeah the um, the the beauty of it all, I think it stems from the, the, the idea of service, right? We all want to give of ourselves. It's used mm -hmm. a lot of people, I guess I, I just listened to a podcast a little while ago and uh, he was talking about the, the concept of uh, national pride and that the, the, old, uh, the old propaganda posters in the United States of like, we want you, right, to or ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That that mm -hmm. mentality of like, just service to nation, it wouldn't work now, right? The average yeah. person doesn't respond to that type of, uh, uh, of call out. Some still do. I was one of those kids, right? Like I, I grew up wanting to be in the military. I looked at it as my duty to serve, right? It, hmm. it was 100% my obligation as a Canadian uh, child at the time, 18 mm -hmm. to 19 years old, uh, that I should serve the country. And it was a great honor to do so. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I still do. Like, I, I'm not saying that that's untrue in any way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that mentality just isn't there anymore. And then I think it gets laid into you during your training, you go to basic and you get taught all this stuff and you're constantly harping on how, how much uh, your duty means and how it is an honorable thing to do and it, you're very courageous for joining up and being part of this crew and blah, blah, blah. But those things lead into something very negative over time. And once you leave the military, once you're outside of that circle, it can lead a lot to like guilt and shame and depression Definitely. because you're not part of that group anymore you're not actually in that circle 
And that's what I mean when I was saying earlier about like when you leave the unit, the like it's gone. Oh yeah. Everybody oh yeah. For me, it was don't let the don't let the door hit you yeah, on exactly. your way out. And, you know? like it was not like an easy uh, mm -hmm. transition. <laughs> and I, like I know guys that this is the other trick too is I know a lot of people that they'd get out in Edmonton and they would just retire there. And so they'd still be surrounded by people. They still have, you know, the other vets that they've known that have lived there and so on and so forth. But I know guys that went up to like Flinflon out in yeah. Manitoba. There's yeah. no support. And the nearest VA uh, office is in Winnipeg. And it's like, you're, you're basically on the other side of the moon for the other yeah. military guys in the area, right? Yeah. And so like, when it comes to stigma, that can just eat away at you. And those things that were of such pride what should be, you should be proud of. Yeah. Just slowly get turned on that, based on that stigma that just like eat away at you. So yeah. what would you yeah. say to somebody? How would you try and get them out of that oh. funk? <laughs> what kind of information would you give them? Oh my gosh. Yep, you're on the spot um, now. <laughs> oh, I know, you know, and it's something that I dealt with for a long time. And part of my, part of what I like, the issues and stigma that I dealt with is my trade was not transferable to anything civilian. Turns out civvies aren't that into boats, ropes, and guns. So uh, I had a really hard time. The only thing I could think to do was join the Coast Guard. I got basically all but hung up on, um, you know, when I was making inquiries. I looked into civilian search and rescue um, for a while. And my first instructor said, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have a house? And I was like, excuse me? And he goes, well, if you don't have any of these, those things, you're a flight risk and you're no good for search and rescue. And I was just yeah. like, at 22 years old or 23 years old, I was like, uh, okay. And I didn't know, and that was maybe part of my military experience. I didn't know well enough to be like, fuck you and ask somebody else, you know, I just should have just kept going, but I got this door slammed in my face. I was trying to figure out how I could use those skills, how I could bring them with me into the civilian world. And that disconnect, I think, was a major source of my um, transition issues. I remember trying to drive a boat one day. Um, somebody I knew quite well, ex-boyfriend, we went out one day. I was like, okay, I can drive this boat. And he's like, ah, and he made fun of me. I was like, I literally did this for five, like literally, this was my job. I was actually like, tactical boat handling for my career like that's what I did yep. and he wouldn't even let me drive his dinky little boat and it was so I mean he thought it was amusing at the time but it, like but that stuff like digs into you um your experiences in the military get undermined and then you get into the civilian world and there's no you know authority respect timing respect nobody cares that well you can polish your shoes shoot a gun um whatever but it, it so I don't have an answer <laughs> um, for that. Um, well, I was yeah. going to say, the thing that, that uh, caught my brain there as you were talking was um, you have a lot of transferable skills. And this is one thing that a lot of vets don't realize is that even like the, I know a lot of infantry guys who are like, I'm like, what am I going to put on my resume? I can shoot. I can do a lot of push-ups, and I can run right what am i gonna yeah. do yeah but all three of those disciplines are extremely hard to come by in the civilian world and if you break those skill sets down into their different parts like you know guns okay how many how many different guns can you strip and assemble right now just off the top of your head 
How oh, many? me specifically? Yeah. Oh, I was really good at like five of them. Okay, so the amount of the amount of recall and memory, just like storage and recall, yeah. the amount of muscle memory that you've developed, and the attention to detail to know all the different parts of the different weapons and how they go together, that is an extremely yeah. important skill set, and most people don't realize that. Uh, I always say, you know, as a machine gunner, what what does machine gunning have to do with the regular world? Well, you have excellent situational awareness. You have mm -hmm. um, a really good ability to manage the difficult jobs that most people don't want to do. It, like there's leadership in there. Like you can break them down into actual skill sets. Attention to detail is huge. Right. And <laughs> like that's why there's all sorts of job transition uh, opportunities for um, veterans now or for people who are, who are releasing from the military. When I left, there was not like it was absolutely nothing. I, I just decided to start painting houses. Literally, like I, I ended up having my own painting company, which was fine. Um, but I didn't know that, that there were these other transferable skills. Like yeah. once that door was closed to the unit to me, um, I didn't have, I was restarting a new career and I didn't know who else to um, talk to. And when I would say, well, these are my skills and the civilian was like, well, I don't, I don't know. We don't shoot guns here. We don't, yeah. we're in the mountains. There's no boat. Like, what do you want? So it was, um, it took years and years and years for me to carve a niche. Um, and that's, what I've done. And I think that's another piece of advice that I would give people is you can actually carve your own way. It's you can get creative with that skill set. Um, I was fortunate to be able to combine military experience with passion for the outdoors and adventure and, and use that in education and help me to understand my own stigma and my own um, uh, life trajectory. It's been I've been lucky to be able to marry that stuff. And I feel like you know, those opportunities are out there. You don't just have to do one single job when you leave or you can, I, something that you posted the other day um, about trying um, in order for, what was it, the success? Um, oh my gosh, I can't. The first thing you have to do is try. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you that's can. what I spent years and years doing is just trying over and over and over, lots and lots and lots of failures. Um, but getting, I've gotten really comfortable with failure, actually. <laughs> it helps you understand what you want. Yeah, and that, that's that that's that insight, right? Like if you can if you can look at a failure, this is one of the things that I learned from jujitsu really fast was if you lose, there's a reason that you lost. It's not that and it's not that he's better than you, right? You either gave up something, you like gave too much space, you, you let him in in a certain area, like something happened that you did that you could have prevented mm -hmm. this thing from happening. And if you just get upset that you lost, right. you're not learning anything, right? Then next time yeah. you roll, you're going to lose again, and it's going to be the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. But if you actually take the time to go, where where was it that I that I gave you that? Like I, I gave you my arm somewhere. How did you get my arm? And then they'll be like, oh well, when you transferred over, you lifted your elbow, and then I just latched onto it. And you're like, oh okay. And then next time you can keep your elbow tight when you make your turn. It's yeah. Just, just that little bit of insight to go. Mm -hmm. how, how, what, what happened there? Instead of going, ah, I fucking lost, I failed. This isn't gonna work for me. And I've had hundreds of ideas of stuff that I wanted to do once I got out of the military. I, I want, I really wanted to do uh, an equine a therapy ranch. I still have the idea and the plan in my head, and I'm, I'm not giving that up. But right now. It's not the time for me to do that right now. It's the time mm -hmm. for me to do something else. So I started 
doing other stuff. I started working with the walk. I started working the podcast. I started like, I realized that the information that I had to share needed to be shared. So I started mm -hmm. sharing it. Right. And then I tried to get more people to say, Hey, look, we can all just share information. Like, it's, yeah. it's, none of this is new. None of this is, uh, it's going to cost you anything. We all can look at it. And I realized also that most of the skill sets that I, I, I take now, um, and I utilize every day, I was, tr people were trying to teach it to me 10 years ago. People were trying uh, to teach it to me 20 yeah. years ago. Right. That's a harsh realization, isn't it? I, it is. I, I have those moments. Yeah. Well, frequently. But the thing yeah. I always tell myself is that like, I wasn't in the mindset to see it. And that's a big part. You have to be ready to actually Absolutely. see it. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that stigma does is that it, it prevents you from taking the time to see it. It just stops yeah. you cold, right? Like this is, yeah. oh, no, I'm not good enough. Or, oh, no, I'm just another broken veteran. Oh, I'm not even a veteran. I, I, I only served for three years, right? And I, mm -hmm. I told you this. I've told many people this is like, as, a, as somebody who decided that they were going to serve their country and put their body on the line, regardless, 5, 10, 15, 25, 35, 75 years, whatever it is, okay. you're the one that when the country said, hey, I need help, you were like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And whether you did anything, which is a horrible mm -hmm. terminology and probably leads to the yeah. stigma as well. Of course. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? You did the job. Yeah. The job was yeah. for you to be a clerk in uh, in a small detachment out in bumfuck nowhere, Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. Okay. Somebody need to fill that spot. Yep. You did it. Right? You're still a veteran, and that's the one title yeah. no one can take from you ever. On your tombstone, yeah. in however many years, you know what it's going to say? KD Armed Forces Veteran. <laughs> Yeah. On, on top of anything else, right? So yeah, it's it, true. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard one still to reconcile. I still work on it. I, I now use the term uh, frequently. Um, for other reservists out there, like just through our conversation, I'm trying to think of the right words, but like as as a reservist, you, you, you sign up to protect your country on your land. So you're doing your job every day. You are doing it every day just because you're doing it here and not out there, well, you didn't sign up to go out there. <laughs> you signed up to be here and that's what you're doing. You are um, cleaning up in uh, Lytton, BC, or you are you know, sandbagging in uh, Saskatchewan or search and rescue off the West coast of Canada. That's what you signed up for. And that is your job. And that is serving your country. And that's to me, it's taken me, despite having done all of that stuff, some of that stuff, it's hard to internalize that information it's hard to because you still live in this um this the structured world of hierarchy like we were saying that just gets ingrained from day one so mm -hmm. i think what you're like what you're saying about insights if we want to tackle stigma i think it's about asking these questions and being insightful um with yourself and with other people why do you why do you have this belief what it what effect is it having on yourself and what is it, effect is it having on other people yeah, and it, it does. It affects everyone around you. When you start to belittle yourself or start to belittle others, it affects that whole community, right? Like mm -hmm. if you, if I were to talk down to another unit, right? Which I only do that to every other unit that I know. 
We all knew. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> As a combat engineer, I'm just better than everybody. I mean, just right? you know, no. The, the, so, like, there there is a line between joking around and we're laughing about it, but that is part of the problem is that we mm-hmm. continue to joke around about it and there is a line between trying to be hurtful and right. just having fun right so I, I can't say that like we can't we can't talk negatively about each other we can't try and uh build a little bit of a competitive nature or um try and mm-hmm. create a little bit of a discourse to try and drive people forward yeah but you have to be really careful of that line where it goes from you know this is constructive and fun and kind of hilarious to yeah. hurtful and engaging that stigma even further into that next generation every mm-hmm. time we train a new course every time we put another group of kids through yeah that stigma is either going to keep going or it's going to get taught out and uh whitney said it on my last one it was like the privates are the future and it's like they absolutely are because there's a private yeah. or a cadet somewhere that is going to be the next CDS. And if he maintain or she, he or she, uh, uh, maintains that stigma, then the stigma is going to be maintained. If absolutely. not, then change happens. Right. Um, yeah, so we've been rolling for just over an hour now and I'm wondering, do you have any final points, anything that we haven't covered on stigma? Um, <laughs> while I put oh you on God. the spot immediately again. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. Uh, I'm sure, I think, I feel like a tons of things um, popped up when you, we were talking. We only oh, really yeah. just scratched the surface. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. I think that, yeah, you know what, you're right in saying that um, it's the privates, it's the new ones um, that are coming up that are gonna be able to change it. But I also think it's the people that are maintaining the status quo right now that um, really have a duty to help um, shift that. So yeah. I, you know, I think looking into uh, your own thoughts and perceptions and how you're um, outwardly displaying them um, while you're in the military will it has a really big impact. I'm not really sure that was particularly insightful, sorry. <laughs> it, it, it is, it's exactly what we need. I, I'm not here to find answers, right? The whole concept of this is to create the conversation so that the conversation is happening and the people can see mm-hmm the conversation can happen mm-hmm. and that that's the that's the first step right once we can start mm-hmm. talking about it and be comfortable talking about it then we can start making changes then we can start advancing mm-hmm. uh the bar forward a little bit and for so many years we didn't we yeah. haven't moved that bar at all if any if backwards if anywhere <laughs> especially mm-hmm. uh well, especially after Afghanistan. I'm- yeah, uh, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk with you about this stuff because even for me, with uh, with my you know my military background, my education background, and looking at stigma, it's still difficult for me to talk about the the time that I spent in the military because I'm talking to somebody who had such a different career than I did, somebody who went overseas, someone who did the work. You know, it's still it's difficult. So to have this opportunity and being able to talk about it um, really openly and directly has been great. So thank you, because that does me a lot of good. My pleasure. I just enjoy chatting with people. Apparently, I'm a bit of a social butterfly. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Uh, right? Uh, but I really I, I appreciate you being on here. I really want to thank you for being here because every every view on this is valid. 
because every person is going to look at this issue differently and everybody is going to pull information differently. And mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how many little tidbits of information that I've pulled from all the conversations I've had because um, it's been, there's been a lot <laughs> that, that yeah. I've been able to learn through this. And my whole goal is just like, again, we're talking about it, right? So there's somebody yeah. out there that's going to go, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Add it yeah. in or not, but like at least someone's thinking about it. And that's the, that's the mm -hmm. important part. Uh, again, so I really, I really appreciate it. I, I just, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on. Awesome. And, uh, Thank you. I'm hoping because there's a lot more on stigma that we can talk about. So I should be able to get yeah. you on another time and we can dive in. I would, I would love to talk about it more. I could talk about stigma. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but I could talk about stigma uh, all day long. Um, certainly from a lived experience perspective as well. So I'd be more than happy to, uh, to chat again. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Then. okay. Bye. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. GMO.